Good evening. Oh, Welcome back once again to our Wednesday night live Bible study. Today is November 4th, 2020. I apologize for the slightly delayed start. We were scrambling to resolve some technical issues on the back end. Thank you for your patience. As I have with me once again is the, what, right, reverend, retired, esteemed Roy Moss. How many R's can I throw in there? I'll keep working on it. I more than right, reverend, retired Roy. But anyways, it is a pleasure to be back once again with Brother Roy Moss. And he is going to continue with our Wednesday night live Bible study both this week and next week, we're going to be talking about the theme of from eternity to eternity. So if you missed the beginning of that, you'll want to go back. You'll want to stay tuned both weeks. We've got some good stuff planned. I'm going to turn it over to him. And before he begins, I believe you have a reminder announcement, correct? Yes, I do. I'll be back at the chat portion halfway through. All right. Once again, the Thanksgiving holiday is upon us. We would like to do our part in being a blessing to the community. In the past years, we've collected goods to meet the needs of a, a very limited number of families. But last year, we partnered with the Food Bank of Delaware and uh, made an offering to them. Our giving of $756 provided more than 2,000 meals far more than our individual efforts had ever done. And with so many people being financially impacted by the COVID virus, this pandemic, our support for our neighbors is, is even more important this year. So uh, I'm gonna give you some information here on how to be involved with this if you would like to contribute. You can do so by going to, guess where, Newark, upc.info and click on the give button and then select the Thanksgiving food drive fund. And you can make your uh, donations right there. Or if you would prefer send a check or a money order made payable to Newark UPC and we will get every penny of it to the food bank for this uh, holiday uh, food uh, meal package. And you can send that to Newark UPC, post office box 9938 in Newark, Delaware. And the zip code is seven, uh, 19714. And if you'll just write Thanksgiving food drive in the memo portion so we'll know what it goes for. And please make a contribution by November the 15th, that's a Sunday, uh, 2020, so that we can get the funds to the Food Bank of Delaware in uh, time for Thanksgiving. And we thank you in advance for your generosity. Now, tonight I want to welcome you once again to the digital campus of Newark UPC. We're glad you joined us for another Wednesday night live Bible study. And as Brother Desi told you, uh, we're talking for this two week period about eternity to eternity. And it's my turn tonight to spend some time talking about heaven. There's an old song that goes, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Well, we'll see if we can uh, have a better idea maybe of, of where we might be trying to go. Uh, it's impossible to discuss eternity from a Christian viewpoint without taking heaven into consideration. The problem is, that we really don't know a whole lot about heaven. And a lot of what we think we know is just not so. There'll be more on that tomorrow night. So I'll be talking tonight about some of, some of what we do know. Now, first we need to know what the Bible is talking about when it uses the term heaven. 
In the King James Version, the word heaven or the term heaven is used some 582 times. Heavens, the plural of it, is used another 133 times. And heavenly, as used in Heavenly Father, is shows up in the scriptures 23 times. And this comes from five different Hebrew words and three Greek words used in both the Old and the New Testament. And it seems like we should know a lot about something that's mentioned over 700 times in the 66 books of the Bible. Part of the problem is that there are different uses and different meanings for these terms, and we get that mostly or largely from the context of what we are reading. We know from Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2 that there are three heavens. Since whomever he was discussing, and that's an entirely different Bible study, uh, whoever that was, was caught up to the third heaven. So let's see if we can define and maybe separate in our own minds at least these heavens using some of both ancient and modern terminology. Now, the word heaven means a high place or something that is lifted up. It's, it's generally thought of as above us. And uh, the first use of that is the atmosphere surrounding us. That's, that's the heaven, the first heaven. Uh, second would be what we in uh, this modern day would call space. Outer space, space, the, the realm of the sun, moon, stars, so on. Then the third heaven, which Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians, would be the very abode or the presence of God, wherever God is, where God is. That's what we would define as heaven. Genesis 1 and verse 1 speaks of God creating the heaven and the earth. This uh, most likely is specific of the atmosphere surrounding our planet. In the rest of the creative story, except for a reference in day four, the localized area of the planetary structure is, is referenced. That's what it's talking about there in that first couple of chapters. Even those lights that are described as appearing on the fourth day are designated and described in relation to their function in the world God was in the process of preparing for human habitation. The firmament with waters above and below and, and the fowls of the air designates the atmosphere. As the King James Version says in Genesis 1 and 20, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven or of heaven. Jeremiah 15 and 3 and Ezekiel 32 and 4 both speak of the fowls of heaven. Uh, Revelation 19 and 17 gives a call after a great battle to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. So when John in 14 verses 6 and 7, and uh, I'm, I'm maybe stretching a little bit here, but uh, I want to go this direction. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 says, I saw another angel, which means a messenger of God. That's the literal meaning of angel is the messenger of God. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, 
probably the atmosphere, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, this may have been symbolic of the actual flying ministers and missionaries that crisscross the globe and the various countries today to preach the gospel. And uh, it could be a loud voice because they're using a PA system. You see airplanes travel in what the ancients considered a, a heaven. And so I guess if I climbed on a plane as a messenger of God and flew somewhere to preach, I could uh, in maybe feel, fulfill that about flying an angel flying in the heavens. Now the second heaven, <coughs> pardon me, would would encompass what we would call outer space or just space. In this realm abide the sun, the moon, the stars, comets, other heavenly bodies, uh, asteroids, meteors. Uh, if you go out into uh, various realms of, of outer space. There are great gaseous clouds called nebulae. Uh, they're out there uh, unknown to the ancients, but still there. Early on in Deuteronomy 17 and three, God warned against a misdirected worship of these various things that were there in the heavens of worshiping the, the stars and so on. And, and he gave a, a way to handle them and, and described here though, and who, those who have gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven. Now in this context, that host of heaven would not be God's army, but instead it would be the stars or the, the constellations that the ancients uh, saw in the sky and made up stories about them. Uh, in Greek and Roman mythology, they did a lot of, of uh, storytelling around various constellations that they saw in the nighttime sky. Uh, and then he said, uh, they worship these things which I have not commanded. In 2 Kings chapter 21, in verses both 3 and 5, we are told about Manasseh, the king of Judah, who built altars to the host of heaven for worship. And, and he was a very wicked king. In fact, he was carried away into captivity because of his uh, gross wickedness. In Jeremiah, and this is found in the eighth chapter in the first and second verse of, of prophecy, there is given concerning the, the des desecration of the bones of those who worship the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven. It was pronounced that there would come a time when these folks who had been worshipers of the, the beings that they imagined in the in the sky in the heavens in that second heaven uh, and then died that their bones would be dragged out and uh, crushed burned whatever and and left uh, in in just left out in the open because of the very wickedness of what they had done if they had worshiped the sun, the moon, and all the host of heaven. And, and in reference to the, the fact of outer space, and, and you can't always tell in relation to prophecy, but in Matthew chapter 24 and 29, Jesus said that the stars shall fall from heaven 
probably referring to meteorites crashing down through the atmosphere. So they would come from the second heaven down through the first heaven uh, to land upon the earth. Uh, Genesis 1 lets us know that the sun and moon and stars are made not to worship, but as signs for mankind. We saw a find in, in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So here we, we see that harking back to that fourth day of creation, that these symbols in the heaven, these stars and the moon and the, uh, the sun itself are there to let us know that there is a God, that he is mightier than anything man can do. And they speak to us if we will but have spiritual ears to hear when they are out from night to night and declaring the glory of God. God has intended that all creation, including the light and order of the second heaven of outer space should both show his glory and be a method of teaching about his nature. He's a God of order. He is a God who is dependable. You can look at the stars and, and you can tell uh, folks have even tried to find out what it was uh, that the wise men followed. And so they have followed uh, rolled back time insofar as their models are concerned, trying to fix what it was that appeared in that star in the sky over Bethlehem. Uh, Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 20. Uh, declare God's wrath against those who will not learn from the star-spangled textbook of the heavens. Uh, the quote from that is, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. That's from the New Living Translation. So what we find here is that, that the very creation itself should teach us something about God. It should teach us enough that we can begin investigations or we should uh, to find out more about him. Now, let's start our attention to the heaven that really interests us. The one that Paul mentioned back there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number two. And that reads this way. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. And then the parenthetical expression, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. So Paul is letting us know that uh, for that particular part of it, don't ask me any questions. I've told you all I know about this situation to this point. And then he goes on, such a one was caught up 
to the third heaven. And there he heard things that it was not lawful to be uttered among us. Uh, such one was caught up and this third heaven is usually designated as the abode or the dwelling place of God. I guess by one definition, which will come into play a little bit later, that where God is, there is heaven. Where the presence of God is moving, we could call that heavenly. In fact, there's a scripture that talks about he has made us to sit together in heavenly places. Now, man has defined the layers of the first heaven, the atmosphere, as the uh, troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the thermosphere, and the exosphere, which, uh, by the way, extends some 1,800 miles above the surface of the earth before they quit calling it part of our atmosphere. And then the ranges of space, the second heaven, are so, are so vast that, that new units of measure had to be imagined to even to begin to express its size. Uh, we start in that measurement with a light year, the distance that light can travel at a speed, uh, can travel in a year at a speed of 186,282 miles per second. Now that 186,000 282 miles per second is fast enough for light to go around the earth at its equator about seven and a half times in a second. That's moving on. So uh, when you look at what a light year is, it comes to about 5 trillion, 880 billion miles per year. That's a light year. So the nearest star to us, our, our closest neighbor, is Proxima Centauri, and it's about 4.2 light years away. The Milky Way, which is our galaxy, has a di diameter of some 200,000 light years. Current estimates postulate between 100 and 200 billion galaxies separated by vast amounts of space. Just, just trying to think about all this stuff can give you a headache. But all of this gives a new dimension to Solomon's declaration in 1 Kings 8 and 27 when he said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold the heaven and heaven of heavens, first and second heaven, cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. So when we talk about the abode, the dwelling place, the presence of God, and we have to measure even our little second heaven neighborhood in light years. We're talking about something that, that may be completely beyond our abilities to comprehend. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of things I can put in that category that I just don't have enough brain power to wrap around what's going on out there. So this leaves us with a, a conundrum, a real puzzle. We can measure and analyze the atmosphere of the first heaven. And we can speculate about the, the vast reaches of the second hand or the second heaven while we dip but a toe in the kiddie pool of exploration 
of our own solar system. But where, where is the third heaven? We usually talk about heaven and point up. Uh, but how high is up? And which part of up? As we make a 360 degree circle every day as the planet revolves. Do we have to resort to science fiction terminology to even to begin to, to speculate about the manner of its existence? Wormholes, space warps, alternate dimensions, all those seem too tame and really limited to begin to explore the, the location, the configuration, the organization of such a place, especially as it's usually conceived. Well, let's look at some things that Jesus, who was God incarnate, he did dwell upon the earth. He was God incarnate. Let's, let's look at some of the things he said about the, to use his terminology, the Father in heaven, starting with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this Father in heaven is to be glorified, as we find in Matthew 5 and 16. He makes the sun to rise and sends rain. That's Matthew 5 and 45. Father in heaven is perfect, verse 48. He gives rewards, chapter 6, verse 1. He gives our daily food, forgives, and delivers from evil. You may recognize that from Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13. Matthew 7 and 12 let us know that he, our heavenly Father, gives good gifts. And Matthew eleven twenty five tells us that he also hides from the wise and reveals to babes. And he alone, as we find in chapter 24, verse 36, knows the time of the second coming. Now, all of these things that have been talked about about the Heavenly Father are directly related to things on earth. I'm not even sure we know how to think about heaven. Was heaven walking among the apostles along the crowded and dusty streets of, or roads of Galilee, the crowded streets of Jerusalem? Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. So wherever he was, though it wasn't in a hole that even a fox would have, that was the presence of God. Heaven may have already been among us. Our concept of the abode of God is, a, is of a place, but our limited mental facilities may not be able conceptualize the aspects of that realm. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, that's what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now that's a quote, or he was quoting using the same terminology of Isaiah 64 and 4, where that prophet said, For since the world began, no ear has heard, and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. And those are both from the New Living Translation. In Isaiah 6, the prophet saw God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he was in the throne room of a temple attended by seraphim 
with six wings each. As much as this may reveal about the abode of God, it may also fall into a, a class of metaphor or what we call anthropomorphism. Now there's a 12 cylinder word for you. Uh, anthropom anthropomorphism is the uh, attributing of human traits and emotions or intentions to non-human entities. It's, it's considered an innate tendency of, of human psychology. We try to make sense of what we've seen by comparing it or, or likening it to things that are familiar to us. Uh, what Isaiah saw may have, may have been perceived in terms that his mind could grasp and understand. We generally think of heaven as, as somewhere beyond time and space, whatever that may mean, or however it might work. However, if we stop and examine our terminology in describing heaven, the abode of God, and the redeemed, We'll soon note that we are picturing not a land beyond the blue, but a city John saw coming down. A city built four square, 1,400 miles in each direction, long, wide, and high, with walls of jasper, a street of gold, 12 gates of pearl, and 12 foundation stones of precious material. It's a place with no curse, no tears, death, no sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain. There's no need for a sun and a moon in that city because the lamb is the light. I'm <clears throat> not so sure that we need to be so much concerned about where it is, as what's there and getting there, however that may be accomplished. And that's another message in itself. It's, uh, where's heaven right now? <laughs> I have no earthly idea. And there are probably no, there's probably no known language with words to describe its location. But John saw a future where it would be on earth as the new Jerusalem. The thing that makes it heaven is, is not its location or its layout. It's not because of its materials or its architecture. The thing that will make heaven, heaven, is the fact that Jesus God in Christ will be there. And in one sense, when, when you got the Holy Ghost, you got heaven within you. Where he abides, where is heaven? Well, to see the first edition of it, go take a look in the mirror. God bless you. Does he? All right. Sorry. I'm scribbling notes while you're talking. <laughs> There's so much good stuff here. All right. I'm joining you again. All right. To sum it up. I don't know. No. For someone who claims to not know, you said, oh, church family, I hope you were paying attention. There were a lot of good nuggets there. And if we did post in the chat that now is the time to go ahead and submit your questions. I'm sure Brother Moss can answer all of them. <laughs> but as we're waiting for, yeah, as we have an answer, as we're waiting for uh, these questions to begin to come in, I, I want to have a conversation with you because I, I was thinking about some of what you said. And towards the end, I think you did an excellent wrap up. There was a lot of technical material tonight. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're going pretty fast. Is it okay if I just recap it in about two sure. questions? So please understand that in the Bible, as he mentioned in the Old and New Testament, you've got seven different words across Greek and Hebrew 
they get translated into the English word heaven. And unfortunately, the concept of heaven kind of gets flattened in English. And we use heaven as this umbrella term to describe multiple different things that the Bible has separated out. So just the word heaven itself is used in three different contexts. It's used as in our atmosphere, the birds fly in the heavens. It's used in the sense of, if I can use the word cosmos, you talked about galaxies and universe and all of that. And then the third one, which I think most of us tend to think of when we say heaven, is this abode or this dwelling place of God, wherever God is, the place where God dwells, that is heaven. Now, here's the challenge for us. We lack the vocabulary. You said in any language, and I think you're right. We don't have human words to properly and, and adequately describe this otherness that is God. It's like trying to teach calculus out of a cookbook. <laughs> you might even have an easier time doing that <laughs> than doing this. Because here's another one. This isn't the purpose of tonight, but just an example. We talk about God being eternal. And we talk about from eternity to eternity. No beginning, no ending, as Leela talked last Saturday when we began this series, From Eternity to Eternity. Well, we lack vocabulary for it. This is a whole nother discussion we could have about the fact that language is temporal. If you don't know what I'm talking to you, I challenge you to think of any sort of word in English, especially a verb, something that describes action that's not temporal. We, we can't do it. So how do you describe a God who exists outside of time? We have to use time to describe the fact that he's outside of it. Well, what's outside of time? There's no vocabulary for that. Where is heaven? As in this place that God dwells. We don't have vocabulary for it. It's this otherness. As much as he's outside of time, he's also outside of space. And yet he's also described as filling space. Filling space. So and outside of it, and he completely fills it. What is that? See, we lack the vocabulary. When we begin to just do a slow read and be honest with ourselves, we lack the vocabulary to even describe most of this. That's but I think when headaches come in. Yeah, you can get a headache real quick on this subject. But what is worth remembering, and I believe you did an excellent job of this tonight, is for us to recognize the biblical concept of heaven. When we think of what Paul described as the third heaven, is this idea of where God dwells. And I don't want any of us to get hung up on where is heaven located and have these location questions that trip us up and miss the point that God has invited us to spend eternity with him. Did you hear me say that? God has invited us to spend eternity with him and spending eternity with God is heaven. And so in that loosest, broadest umbrella sense of the world uh, word, when we talk about what happens next, because the big question hanging in the background of these two weeks, this entire series on heaven is what happens after we die? Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, none of us can answer that question with thoroughness. But as Christians, we have hope. We have a promise that we will spend forever with God. And spending eternity with God is heaven. I was reading just in Ephesians this week, and Paul twice in Ephesians talks about the Holy Spirit. You made mention, Brother Moss, about the idea of the Spirit dwelling in us. And this Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. When God comes to live inside of us, there's a bit of heaven the place of God, the abode of God, the dwelling of God that already exists inside of us. Paul uses language talking about seed. He uses language talking about clothing, 
Sometimes he describes a building. Sometimes he describes a tent. Paul mixes his metaphors. Again, Paul searching for vocabulary on how to describe this. But in Ephesians, twice in Ephesians, he says that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal in the sense of like a king's signet ring, you know, that was pressed into the wax and it had his seal. And he said the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a seal think that king's signet ring, something pressed on our heart of a promise that's to come. And so I don't think we stretch it too much, Brother Moss, kind of taking it just one step further from what we, from what you said. I think we see from what Paul wrote in Ephesians that when we are filled with God's spirit, it's a down payment. It's a seed that's been planted to use his language from 1 Corinthians 15. It's a seed. Earnest. Yeah. It's not even as big as a down payment. It's just the earnest money. Fair enough. It's just the inner earnest, this promise that we have of something greater that's coming. Mm-hmm. Where is this something greater? You're missing the point. The point is that we get to spend forever with God. And that's heaven. And if out of these two weeks, that's all you get out of it, (laughs) you're in good place. You're in a good place. If you walk away from this thing, what I know about heaven is that at some point, I will spend forever with God. Mm -hmm. Then you're in good shape. All right. So let's see if we can turn to a few questions. Here's the first one. You can help people as you were doing your prep for this lesson. Someone asked, how can we tell about these source words and what their context is and what they're talking about without having to learn biblical Hebrew and Greek? Uh, You can get Strong's concordance that can give you definitions of some of these words. There are others... uh, yeah, Strong's is an example of a concordance. Yeah. So that's a uh, that's a specific one, but there are others as well. So you could use a concordance to help you. Robinson's, Thayer's, different different books that their their purpose is to give the meaning of these Greek and Hebrew words into English, so that we can have a a concept of well when they use this word that's what they're talking about. And when they use that other word, that's what they're talking about over there. If I can throw this in another one, here's another free online, easy to read resource. Um, The New English Translation, sometimes called the Net Bible, Bible. Mm -hmm. is loaded with textual, like, I mean this, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of textual notes all throughout the Bible. And I can't guarantee that it does it every time it mentions the word heaven, but the New English translation is a very quick, easy, accessible thing that you can use for free online. There are some Bible apps such as Uversion. You can even download for free on your tablet or your mobile phone, and they have the New English translation built into them. And it has lots of textual notes. And so there are places where it will parse out and say, this is referring to this, or this word in this context means this. Now, having said that, I will also tell you it's a serious study resource that translators use and and scholars use. And so sometimes you may read the notes and your eyes begin to gloss over because it includes all the grammar and the syntax and vocabulary. Don't worry about that. If you don't understand the note or it's got a bunch of words you're not following, don't don't get lost in the details. I just mentioned that as another free resource that, that is readily available. And sometimes it's dependent on context. And we talk about the birds in the heavens where- That one's obvious right? It's really, really where we tend to struggle is between what Paul may have called the second and the third heaven, cosmos versus the dwelling place of God. And you're probably not going to like my answer on this to the people asking this question. Paul was a trained Pharisee, and they delighted in wordplay. And there are times in scripture where I am confident that Paul was vague on purpose, And he used a word that could be translated this way or this way, or even in Hebrew and Greek, it could mean this and this and this. And so you ask these these Pharisees and these rabbis and this rabbinical way of thinking, and you say, so which is it? Is it this or this? And their answer is yes. yes. 
So he delighted in puns. Yes. Yes. If you think Brother Moss is bad <laughs> with his word <laughs> puns, he's got he's got nothing on Hebrew culture, especially ancient Near Eastern Hebrew culture. They delighted in wordplay. And sometimes it's a little vague and fuzzy, and it could mean this or this. And the best thing to do is to leave it fuzzy and acknowledge it could be this or this, or likely both. <laughs> All right, let's see if we've got another question. Our Brother Moss, are we all going to be young and healthy again? Now, that's one that I've got that, that, uh, that answer that I said I've got an answer for every question. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure people are thrilled with that. Again. <laughs> that is a great question. It's a great question. Why don't we all study that and write a paper on it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What we do see, whether we're young and healthy, what we do see is this descriptor of a different kind of body. Yes. In that sense, we could use new. You can go back and reread 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go listen closely to Sister Debbie's message from just... That was good, yes. And she talked about this resurrection. Paul was confident that there was a new body, that our bodies would be made new. Let me be more precise in my biblical language, that our bodies would be made new. We also see, as you described, John, as we get to the end of Revelation, describing this place where there's no pain you know, and sorrow. I am not anticipating keeping this rice crispy body that goes snap, crack, snap, crackle, pop. pop. Uh -huh. And so, I might even have hair again. Who knows? Might even get hair. Look at that. I might even get some of my hair back. Who knows? <laughs> but it's, that's not important. I'm with him. Right, right. These are great questions, some of which we can't answer. Don't miss the main point. Hear us. Hear both of us tonight. The main point is that if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, God has sealed you with a promise that someday you will spend forever with him. And he does all things well. I don't anticipate going through eternity having problems with arthritis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So another one, this is not a question. It's more a comment I see that was posted in the chat stream that said, um, by the way, we're defining it in that sense, Eden was heaven. And so what I will say to that is, yes, stay yes. tuned for yes. more broadcasts. In fact, I'll give a little bit of a, a tip. This was purposely set up so that way tonight, Brother Moss in our Wednesday night Bible study is talking about the biblical word heaven and the different way it's used. I will be doing next Wednesday night's Bible study, and we're going to closely look at Genesis chapter one, two, and three, and this description of Eden. And we're going to look at the end of Revelation. I, I tried to stay away from more than that. I tried he did to stay a good job of not stepping all over where I'm going. But to the person who posted that question, yes, you're on the right track. And we're going to come back to that next Wednesday night. And we're going to spend more time talking about Eden. And I'll let the cat out of the bag just a little bit more. More specifically, we're going to be talking about the restoration of Eden. Because when we recognize that heaven is where God dwells, it'll begin to change the way you look at some passages in scripture. But I believe it's more exciting. There's more depth there. And there's a greater richness to it. All right, here's another question. Oh, this is a great one from one of our young people. Which heaven do you think the Tower of Babel was meant to reach? And do you think space is there to help stop them from getting to that next, or maybe we could say third heaven? Personal opinion. Yes, so let's be fair up front. The person asked, what do you think? So Brother Moss is sharing his opinion. Do you think they were trying to reach this second heaven or this third heaven? It is, it is my opinion that they were trying to reach that third heaven and had no idea that they had trillions of light years of second heaven to go through to even have a chance to begin to get there. They weren't even on the floor that far. It wouldn't have been even been on the front porch, but they didn't know that they were just working on what they knew. And they saw something above them. They saw the, the second heaven thought surely God is there. 
the Greeks and the Romans much later still contemplated that God lived in that second, the gods lived in that second heaven. God's little G's plural. Yeah. Yes, correct. The ancient, here's, a, here's another term for you to go visit with Google later on, A-N-E, ancient Near East. The ancient Near East concept of the way that the cosmos, in other words, the way that the created world is ordered was that we live on the earth, below the earth, and this is not unique to the Greeks. This was the Hebrews, and this was the Chaldeans, and the Babylonians, and the Persians, and the Philistines, and, 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 and. It's just the ancient world. So the ancient Near East, their concept was that we lived on the earth, and that below the earth was the abode of the dead. And that's a whole nother lengthy Bible study for another time. And abode of the dead doesn't mean a place of damnation. It doesn't mean a place of destruction and punishment. It just meant the living are up here and those who have died live down here, the abode of the dead. And there's different words for that. And then if we're here and the abode of the dead is down here, then the gods, little g plural, and for the Hebrews, God, lived up here above and as Brother Moss said, the ancient Near East had no concept of how large our galaxy is, let alone a universe. And so for them, likely building a tower to reach the heavens, second slash third, it's, it's, it's almost the, the distinction between second and third without it's modern it's scientific advancement is very thin. The gods are up there. As we've become more and more scientific, we've realized that up there is an expanse that we can't even wrap our head around. And so that's why Brother Moss has been very careful tonight to define what Paul called the third heaven, as in the place of God is just where God dwells. And he's not trying to tie it to a location because, quite frankly, we can't. We just don't know enough. Let me throw out another question for you, Brother Moss. What is a good description of heaven for someone who does not know anything about heaven at all? If someone was hearing this for the first time, how would we describe heaven? Where in the Bible can we find a description of this heaven? Well, as I indicated, our best description of what we would consider heaven is in Revelation 21 and 22. Yes. When we talk about heaven... I'm going there next Wednesday, so don't step on it too much. <laughs> but when we talk about heaven, when we describe what's going to be in heaven, and we're not off in all this goofiness that has built up around it, we talk about the gates of pearl, streets of gold. That's the new Jerusalem. And John is very specific to describe it as a city. On this earth a new Jerusalem, and this city comes down and abides on our earth. So, uh, I, I don't know. It gets that, sticky real quick, doesn't know, it? That, that we, if that's not heaven, then I don't have a description. This is a very, very simple description. But it has to be simple because we can't go any farther with specifics. Heaven is where God is. That's it. And the promise is that if we are obedient to his commands and if we love him and his spirit dwells inside of us, then someday we will spend forever with him. And that is heaven. And just to throw in one more thing, we do know that that God lives in the New Jerusalem. Yes. Yes. Just as God. That would, by definition, make it heaven. Yep. But we're not so much. Heaven is not so important as a location as it is important by who is there. Thank you. That's a great way to describe it. Don't get hung up on the location. 
Right. It's what's more important is we understand who's there. And the, then one, the new Jerusalem without him would not be heaven. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then one final question for tonight. Um, it's amazing how we can see God in so many things around us. So what makes you say, I see God in that? Directed to either of us. See God in what? I'll go first. I think I understand the question. In other words, because we see God in so many, played out in so many different ways. And we've spent tonight talking about heaven being where God is. So are there examples you and I could point to in the world around us? For me, the quickest example I see is in the body of Christ, in the sense that, let me be more specific, it's a body of believers. It's both genders. It covers all ages. It covers all ethnicities. It covers all cultures. The truth of this message has now spanned two millennia from the time of Jesus up into the present. And his spirit dwells inside these people. Again, I'm going to jump back to Paul. Paul, Ephesians chapter 4 you can tell I was reading there recently, talks about this one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father who is above all and in you all. And we're united by this spirit of God. And so when you look collectively at the church, at the body of Christ, we see God manifest because there's no other enterprise in human history that would bring together such an eclectic and diverse group. And for those of you who have done any level of travel, you could be on vacation, a business trip, something like that. And you can walk into a church with people you've never met. And if you recognize this presence and the spirit of God there, and you recognize that they have the same spirit in them that dwells within you, there's instantly this connection that transcends even language for those of you who have had the oh, chance yes. to travel overseas. You don't even have to be able to communicate clearly with these people to recognize the presence of God that is in them and know that you are part of the same thing. That for me personally, that reflects God, that reflects his presence. I think it is a glimpse of this heaven that John talked about in Revelation as he described an innumerable multitude and I'm going to stop talking before I give too much away from next okay, time. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Brother Moss. One thing that I thought of as, as you were talking several years ago, I don't remember how it came into my position, but I got a, a Jewish calendar. It was mm -hmm. set up on, on our days and, and months and all, but it was produced by a Jewish publishing house of some sort. And on every day, they had listed the exact time of sundown and sunup hmm. for their Sabbath services and their right. evening services and so on. And, and I, they had it for January. They had it for December the 31st. And I'm sure that they, the next year, they already had the next year figured out. But something that precise that you can know Exactly. In, in Jerusalem, exactly what time the sun's going down. That's a precision that shows me that I've got a clock up here on the wall that I have to keep fooling with it because it gains or loses time and I have to reset it. Mm -hmm. God doesn't have to reset his universe. It is so precisely ordered. I can, you can know. 15 years from now on a particular day when the sun's going to set in Jerusalem. And so to you, that speaks of, of God and his creation and his presence in this heaven. That's just one example. Yeah, there are many. Excellent. Well, we thank you all for joining us for tonight's broadcast at special request before we close. I have to, I don't know, like squat down so you guys can even see the hat. There you go. This is instead of a Christmas elf, I guess this is a November Thanksgiving kind of elf look. I'm wearing this on purpose just as a reminder to our church family that right now we are taking up donations for our food drive that we want to partner with the Delaware Food Bank. We did this last year. 
And I encourage all of you who are able to go ahead and contribute something, anything you can. I guarantee you, based on the resources that they have, the donations that they receive from grocery stores and other suppliers of food, when we give to them, they are able to produce far more meals than we can. I could take some money with my wife and we could go to the grocery store and we could probably buy enough food to bless one family with a nice meal. I could take the same amount of money that I took to the grocery store to prepare one nice Thanksgiving meal for a family. And by partnering with the Delaware Food Bank, they could increase that 20 or 30 times what I can do because of the other partnerships that they have. So for those of you who are able, if you're even vaguely considering it before Sunday the 15th, I encourage you, whether you write a check and you mail it into the church or you just visit us online at newarkupc.info and click on the give button, you'll see the Thanksgiving food drive. I encourage you to do that. And so as this turkey closes out tonight, <laughs> thank you once again for joining us for our Wednesday night live Bible Bible study. Be sure to visit us on our website at newarkupc.info. Thanks for joining and 